We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 once again, if you want to get your Bibles and turn there. Uh, But let's begin with a word of prayer. Father God, we are grateful for the goodness that we experience in knowing Jesus, for the hope that we have, Lord, that lifts us above the troubles, the struggles of this life to have a certainty and a passion for pursuing the path that you have for us. Bless us this day, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today we're talking about finding peace in our struggles. You know, Christmas is a pretty big deal in Finland. And uh, for over 700 years at noon on Christmas Eve, a declaration of Christmas peace has been proclaimed in the city of Turku read by a a city official from the balcony of a historic mansion at the center of town. This declaration of Christmas peace reminds people to spend their holiday in harmony. And it ends by threatening offenders with harsh punishments before wishing everybody a Merry Christmas. (laughs) So I thought I'd just share a, a little bit out of that declaration goes like this. Tomorrow, God willing, is the graceful celebration of the birth of our Lord and Savior, and thus is declared a peaceful Christmas time to all by advising devotion and to behave otherwise quietly and peacefully, because he who breaks this peace and violates the peace of Christmas by any illegal or improper behavior shall, under aggravating circumstances, be guilty and punished according to to what the law and statutes prescribe for each and every offense. Finally, a joyous Christmas feast is wished to all inhabitants of the city. Well, that declaration with its dire warnings about breaking peace is based on some legislation that was created back in the 13th century to extend the the tradition of what they call the truce of God. And when I read that, I just, I thought, I wonder if we should start A tradition like that in our country. What do you think? Where everybody that breaks peace would be punished. You know, we live in a time where there's not a lot of peace pervading our culture, our world right now, is there? In a recent Harris poll called Stress in America, eight in 10 adults say current events are a significant source of stress in their lives. Well, 60% say that the number of issues that America faces is overwhelming to them. Another survey finds 65% of Americans have had their own personal crisis at some point during this last year. Well, my guess is if legislation came into being that punished a lack of peace, we would probably all end up in big trouble. If we ever needed a proclamation of peace, it might be right now as 2022 comes to a close. But you know what? There already was a declaration of peace. It was first given over 2,000 years ago, celebrating the true truce of God that leads to peace among people. And so that's what we want to talk about today. Today's text helps us to focus on the peace that comes only from God and how we can experience that peace. So I want to invite you to read together with me Luke chapter 2 beginning in verse 8. The words are on the screen. Let's read. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Amen. The word of God. Well, there is a lot that we can unpack in that passage. But today, for the next few minutes, we're just going to primarily spend our time in verse 14. The first message the shepherds receive is from one angel, when suddenly then a whole regiment of rejoicing angels fill the sky, praising God in a thunderous chorus. Glory, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. We might paraphrase it something like this. Peace comes from those who praise him. And he gives grace to those who give him glory. And so I want to just look at a couple of the different aspects of this particular announcement this morning with you. And the first one is this. Glory to God. Glory goes up to God. In the first stanza, the multitude of heavenly hosts praise God and they say glory to God in the highest. The original meaning of that word glory is the idea of weightiness, of heaviness. God's glory, we could say, is the sum total of the weight of all of his attributes. It would include things like his splendor and brightness and shining and radiance and brilliance and status and praise and honor and wonder and supernatural power and the list could go on. It has to do with the fame and the power of God's glorious name. But then there's more to it. Notice that all of this is in the superlative. They say glory to God in the highest. This refers to the, the loftiest, the most elevated. God is at the highest level, the peak, the summit. He is the most beautiful, the brightest, the most brilliant. There is no one higher than the Lord God and there is nothing greater. Among the, the Jewish people, the, the highest, that word highest in, in the Hebrew language is a word uh, that we would pronounce as Elyon. And it is the main name that they used when they were referring to God. God is the highest. And so the angels are publicly acknowledging the weight of God's glory in this act of worship. And the shepherds get the joy of joining them in praise. It had been, you see, a, such a long time since God's glory had dwelt on the earth. If you know a little bit about the Hebrew history, you might think back to the time of the tabernacle used by the Jewish people as they were wandering in the wilderness for all of those years after they had escaped Egypt. This was a, a portable worship center where God dwelt and where he met with people. It was also the place where sacrifices were made and where God's glory and holiness were on display. 
In Exodus chapter 40, after the tabernacle was completed, God's glory filled it to overflowing. Listen to this. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of of God filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tent because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the entire tabernacle. And so the Jewish rabbis of that day, they coined a a phrase, Shekinah glory, a form of a Hebrew word that literally means he caused to dwell. And so when they saw the glory of God, they knew that God was there. And so for many, many years, the people met with God and they knew of his glory just by looking at the tabernacle. And then fast forward in time, many, many years, and God instructed King Solomon to build him not a tent any longer, not a place of wandering in the wilderness, but a permanent worship center that the Jews called the temple. And in 1 Kings chapter 6, after finishing the construction, God said this. He said, I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people. And then in 1 Kings 10, we read this. A cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And so Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle because of God's glory as God's glory filled it. And now the priest couldn't enter the temple either. The glory of God fills and resides with God's people for about 350 years. But then, because of their consistent and persistent sin and rebellion and rejection of God's ways, God raised up the Babylonians who wiped out Jerusalem and destroyed that temple. And God's glory slowly departs, reluctantly and sadly. First, the glory leaves the holy of holies, the inner place in the temple. And then it hovers over the threshold of the door at the east gate of the temple. And then in Ezekiel 11, we read these very sad words. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain that is on the east side of the city. And so as a result, God was no longer no longer dwelling with his people and the display of his glory on earth becomes nothing but a distant memory to be handed down through the generations. In Isaiah 64, we capture the plea of the people as they are crying out, lamenting that lost glory of God on earth. And their cry lasts for centuries. They say, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, Lord. One of our our great Christmas carols, we sang this last night at our Christmas Eve service, captures this sense of longing and expectation. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. They cry out for God to be present in their midst again, to experience that glory once again. But the, the heavens are silent. God's glory is removed for 400 years until an angel by the name of Harold shows up. Have you heard of Harold? He does a lot of harking. No, I mean the Harold angel. He, he starts harking in, in Luke chapter two and verse nine. What does it say? It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the what? 
the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. Can you imagine being those shepherds? They were the first guys in 400 years to experience the glory of God. And then the angel announces this great news and he gives this message about what happened in the manger. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. And so the highest degree of glory to God is connected with the giving of his son. And then, unexpectedly, a whole myriad of angels fills the sky. They break through the heavens and they proclaim that God's glory has now returned to earth. But this time, in a very different way. Through the birth of a tiny baby. And listen to this. Glory to God, they sing out. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's as if one angel announcing the news was no longer enough. The sky is suddenly filled with thousands of messengers, a great company of warriors worshiping the widest and deepest and highest praise possible. They couldn't help but praise because the Savior, the Christ, the Lord has been born. And these angels, they've been waiting a long time for the birth of this baby. And so now they explode with adoration. Can you imagine how loud it must have been as those shepherds sat there in the field and watched this display? In Isaiah 44, it says, Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth, because the Lord has done it. They can't help but break forth in a chorus of majestic song. I wonder if you've ever been to Autzen Stadium or up to Research Stadium and you do those chants, you know, go ducks, go beavers. I just imagine something like that. But there's angels shouting out. What are they shouting out? Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. The Lord has done it. Reminds me of a, a classic Christmas carol. We sang this one last night too. Silent night, holy night, shepherds quake at the sight. Glory stream from heaven afar. Heavenly hosts sing alleluia. Well, we fast forward another 30 years or so. And I want you to listen to these words from the Apostle John in John 1 verse 14. The Word, that is Jesus, the Lord. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. And so check this out. Think about this for a moment. In a similar way that God dwelt with his people in the tabernacle and in the temple, he now dwells with people through his only son, Jesus Christ. In him, the glory of God has descended and he has pitched his tent to dwell, to live amongst us. God's good news comes into our bad news. And centuries of waiting 
are now over. And don't miss this. God's glory was previously tied to a place, but now it's wrapped up in a person. And when we put our faith in him, in Jesus Christ, in that person, his glory comes and resides within us. Peace comes to those who praise him. And he gives grace to those who give him glory. And so the first part of the story is all about God's glory. Glory goes up. The second part is all about the peace that he then extends. Peace to the people. Peace comes down. As glory goes up, peace comes down. The adoration of the angels led them to declare that proclamation of peace in the second part of verse 14. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. You see, friends, if we are able to receive what God wants to give, the message of peace is for us. That's your Christmas present this year. To understand that God's gift of peace is ready for you to unwrap. It all starts in heaven with God's perfect plan and it arrives on earth when peace comes to those who personalize, who internalize this important message. It's available to all, but it's only activated for those who accept. Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us for those who believe, for those who repent, for those who receive by being born again. And notice that this peace only comes after praising. We must put God and his glory first and only then will peace come. We must keep together what the angels kept together. Glory to God and peace to people. And so a heart that is inclined towards receiving and sharing the glory of God will know, will experience the peace of God. And so if you are struggling to experience peace this year, like all those people in that survey I mentioned earlier, I want you to consider how much glory is going up from you so that God's peace can descend. You know, Christmas is a sentimental time of year, and there, you know, there's giving and receiving and family gatherings and all of those great things, and yet there is nothing special about this season if a person does not know the Christ of Christmas. I mean, he's built into the word, isn't he? Happy holidays is meaningless without an acknowledgement of the holiness of God. The precondition for peace is to first praise God for his glory and his grace. You know that the word peace appears over 400 times in the scriptures? In the Old Testament, peace is the Hebrew word. You've probably heard it before, shalom. Say that with me, shalom. And so when the Hebrew people expressed that word shalom. It, it was a state of wholeness, of restoration, of reconciliation and harmony that is intended to resonate in all relationships. And so they were saying, peace to you, peace, wholeness, goodness into your life. 
And so when it was used as a greeting, shalom was a wish for uh, outward freedom from disturbance from the world as well as an inward sense of well-being. So to an ancient Jewish person that was constantly harassed by enemies, by hardship, by the difficulties of life, shalom, peace, was the premier blessing. Then when we get to the New Testament, a new word is used for peace. No longer shalom, but the word in the New Testament by the way, anybody here named Irene? Irene, Irene is the word in the New Testament in Greek. And it means to join together, to set at one again. It's the, the idea of gluing something back together and making it whole. As for our last few minutes, I want to just think about this word peace in four different ways. The first way is this, peace with God. Peace with God. This takes place vertically. Peace with God. Before we can be at peace with God, we must come to grips with how broken our relationship with God is apart from Jesus Christ. While God loves and cherishes us, he is filled with indignation because of our constant rebellion and selfishness and sinfulness. Just like those ancient Hebrew people. You know, the greatest warfare going on in the world today is not taking place in the Ukraine or in Afghanistan or anywhere else. The greatest warfare that's going on is between mankind and God. People may not realize that they are at war with God, but if they don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, then God considers them to be at war with him. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, you and I can now be at peace together, fitted together with God. God the Father poured out his wrath and his fury and his indignation on his son. That sweet baby Jesus who grew up to be that mighty man of faith and goodness and compassion the fury and wrath of God was poured out on him as he chose to die in our place as our substitute. Emmanuel, God with us, paid our sin debt. In Ephesians chapter 2, it declares, for he himself is our peace. And in Colossians chapter 1, it says that Jesus reconciled, balanced everything out, uh, all things out, making peace, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You know, it's, it's easy during this time of year to focus just on the birth of Jesus. And that's important. But let's never forget that Jesus was born in order to die. You know, our, our culture seems okay with celebrating Christmas, but it really doesn't care much for the cross. I recently came across an article about a homeowners association in Raleigh, North Carolina. And they instituted a $100 fine to a couple for displaying a cross in their yard in the midst of their Christmas decorations. And so the HOA claimed that since the cross had no connection to Christmas, the people had to take it down. And in, in further discussions with the homeowners, they asked the homeowners to provide them with biblical references that connected 
Christmas, and the cross. Well, the couple gladly provided those references. And in the meantime, as it worked its way through the legal system, the cross remained standing in the front yard of those people. Friends, we must know that the cross has everything to do with Christmas. Instead of going to prison for breaking peace, because Jesus took our punishment, we have been set free. He provided a way for us to be set at one again with the God of the universe, connected together, glued together with the glorious God. God's joy and his justice converge at the cross. And his love and his law find full satisfaction through the death of his son. So peace with God takes place vertically. And then the peace of God. The peace of God, this takes place internally. In order to have, to experience, to feel the peace of God, we must first experience peace with God. The upward dimension must be taken care of before inward peace can permeate our lives. Only those at peace with God can experience the true peace of God. You know, just before he died, Jesus said to his disciples, this is recorded in John 14, 27. He said to them, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. He said that right after he told them he was going to die. And they're like, what? And he said, it's okay. Don't be afraid. The inner peace from God is a gift from Jesus. And it is a key element of the fruit of the Spirit that we heard Peter talking about earlier at the communion time. I'm going to mention another familiar Christmas carol. It's called, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And that uh, famous hymn, that Christmas carol, is based on a poem written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Two years before writing this Christmas carol, Longfellow's personal peace was destroyed when his wife was tragically burned and killed in a fire. And then, not very much longer during the Civil War, his oldest son joined the army without his father's blessing. And he ended up being severely wounded. And so as he pens the words to this poem, after hearing the, the Christmas bells that speak of peace, but he doesn't have any peace in his heart, he writes, and in despair I bowed my head there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to man. But as the bells rang louder, the words of Christmas peace got deeper into his soul until finally he declares in one stanza, God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to man. You see, peace with God 
leads to the peace of God in our lives, which then leads to peace with others. Peace with others. This is horizontal peace. We've talked about vertical peace and inward peace, and now we talk about peace with others. When we're at peace with God, we have internal peace, and then only then can we truly be at peace with other people in our life. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. I find it interesting that Jesus didn't call us to be peacekeepers. He didn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. He said be peacemakers, peace workers. It takes effort to bring conflict to an end. It takes hard work. When we work at resolving conflict, we are doing what God does. We are called to make peace when we're involved in conflict because God has made peace with us through Jesus Christ. And so here we are living in a country filled with chaos and conflict and heartache and disturbances and hatred. And the question I must ask you is, are you planting peace in others? Are you being a peacemaker? Or are you sowing seeds of strife? I want to encourage you today to determine right now to be a peacemaker, not a peace breaker. Is there anyone, anyone at all that you need to make things right with? Anyone that you need to be, be at one with? Do you need to forgive? Do you need to ask for forgiveness? You know, some of us are dreading Christmas, perhaps because we're in a conflict with someone in our family or at work or in our neighborhood or wherever it might be. Maybe a root of bitterness has found its way into your heart deep down in your life. You see, friends, if that's true, then we can't be peacemakers. And so it's time to let it go so that we can be at peace with others. The peace of God comes from being at peace with God, which leads to being and making peace with others, which leads then to us seeking peace for others. Peace for others, this takes place outwardly. The only way for people to have peace with God, to have peace inside, and to be at peace with others is for those of us who know his peace to share it. Just as those shepherds hurried off to tell the good news that they just received, so too must we share the peace of God with others. And so are you out of sorts with God? Repent. Change your ways and receive the Prince of Peace into your life and be made right with him immediately. Are you shaken up on the inside? Give your anxiety to the Almighty and his unexplainable peace will give you calm even in the midst of crazy chaos. Are your relationships broken? Do the hard work of being a peacemaker and then go and spread 
that message of peace. Peace comes to those who praise him and he gives grace to those who give him glory. Let's pray together.